Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to an amazing episode of the Red Team Podcast. I, of course, am your friendly neighborhood TJ Patrick, accompanied as always by my faithful companion, the Apollo to his Phoebe, uh, Trevor Catalano. I'd... What? What? It means I'm chasing you, motherfucker. I... Oh, Apollo is the the Greek god Apollo. No, not like yeah, not like Apollo in Harlem. No, I was thinking Apollo Creed from Rocky. Oh my god, what? <laughs> so I was just like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> but uh, never mind that. <laughs> We have a jam-packed episode. A jam-packed episode. We are ca- we are tackling the entirety of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. All of it. All three of these dumpster fires. We're going to be covering it all. Everything from Tobey Maguire's punchable face to Mary Jane Watson's just bereft of just any likable characteristics in these movies everything and we're gonna get to that in just a sec uh afterwards we're gonna and have we're also gonna talk about why people like them <laughs> i mean yeah we're gonna touch on that for like a second but after that <laughs> uh we're gonna also follow that conversation up with a discussion uh discussion on what makes a good peter parker because we've had Basically, three main interpretations. We've had uh, Tobey Maguire, as we've said. We've had Andrew Garfield. And now we have Tom Holland. And, um, you know, there's been a million games. And most most recently, there's been a very notable game. But, you know, they all have different takes and different interpretations on the character. So what makes a good Peter Parker? We'll get to that in just a bit. Just to be clear, like, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about the live action movies. We're not going to, as much as we love Miles Morales, we're not going to talk about that. Um, and we're not going to, you know, John Mulaney is not a factor here. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you know, there are they are all different characters. There's really only one Peter Parker. There are multiple Spider-Men and women, but, you know, we're basically just going to be focusing on Peter here. With all that said, uh, I think... This may, depending on when this goes up, this may be the first time we actually really talk about superheroes, which Mm -hmm. uh, brings us to our opening segment. Very plainly, what was your favorite superhero growing up? This is a, like, a hard question for me because, like, the characters, especially with, like, the way the MCU went and starting with their lesser characters, the, uh, like, it, it, I think it was Spider-Man, but I really couldn't tell you. My, my experience of superheroes is so intertwined with the release of these movies, um, where I, I don't think I was old enough to know, to, to really commit to a favorite uh, until these movies had already come out. Um, I, I've never been a big Batman person, um, just because he often, it's almost as though because Batman is such a monolith, he's become like Superman, where it's like, oh, this is cheap because he can beat anyone because he's Batman. Um, 
I think Spider-Man and the X-Men were pretty much my my jump offs. As for many people who were into Marvel in the early 2000s and 90s, um, and it wasn't until probably around 2008 uh, when I started uh, reading full, the full graphic novel arcs of like uh, Age of Apocalypse that I understood who Tony Stark and Steve Rogers and Hank Pym and all of them were. And then Iron Man very quickly became a, car- a favorite of mine leading up to the movie. Um, just because uh, I remembered brief, brief notions of the Iron Man animated series from the 90s. Um, and the Secret Wars arc of the animated Spider-Man show to where I I could say that I I was like, oh, I actually am familiar with this odd character who is kind of sidelined um, by a lot. Um, so when Civil War happened in the comics, I definitely started to pay more attention to that and Iron Man became my favorite. Cool. Um, I think because uh, neither of us really grew up on the comics. That's that's accurate, right? Yeah, I don't. I didn't start buying comics until I, you know, as a teenager, had a basic like, oh, I worked a little job and got a little side cash uh, money, and I started buying comics. But even then, comics—if you don't have a comic store around you—are pretty hard to come by. Like, you know, I would miss whole sections of arcs because the only store that I would have it is a Barnes and Noble, and if they didn't order that issue, then they just didn't order it. Um, or if they ran out of it and didn't feel like restocking it, they just didn't do it. And so it's it's almost as though, you know, comics, I think, for a lot of people before the digital age were a very different experience than the way millennials consume comics, which is often largely in the full graphic novel, like from at least from the people I know, in the full graphic novel style uh, rather than a weekly issue. Yeah, it sort of uh, mirrors that whole, you know, you had to be at home at a certain time to catch your certain shows that only came on on certain days mm-hmm. or, you know, were a weekly thing uh, or you had to use the VHS to record it or DVR. And nowadays everything's bingeable and streamable and uh, you have all this information now and leaks and things like that. So, yeah, there's, there's very much a genera- uh, generational thing when it comes to that. Well, and I also think that, like, you know, for a lot of us who grew up in the suburbs, like, if your parents didn't go to the one Target that was near the one comic book store in your town or in, like, the three township area, then, like, you didn't have comics. Like, you just didn't get them. You could do, like, a Marvel subscription online thing when it first came out or read, like, the free ones. But even then, like, that was still a matter of, like, oh, it's going to take 10 minutes on my uh, on my dial-up internet to get to the next fucking panel. Um, and so, you know, comics, I think for for many of us growing up, it was, it was a lot easier to consume the animated series that were coming out than it was to actually consume the comics. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what, uh, going to my personal experience, uh, yeah, I I never grew up reading the comics, um, you know, it's funny because there was probably a time and place for me to have gotten into that, and it just, it passed, uh, where I was a young kid, uh, growing up, I was always, I was always a nerd, I was always a dork, that was always who I was gonna be. Um, and very often, like as much as I did watch TV and I loved watching TV and playing video games, I did also read like a lot. So I think if 
comic books had presented themselves to me in that time, maybe I would have gotten into them uh, because I was more of a reader back then. But I think the time that I actually got like, quote unquote, into superheroes, that time had passed. And I was a little bit less, I was a lot less of a reader um, and was starting to get more into the visual mediums of like movies, TV, video games. Uh, but in general, superheroes had always been like there in some way, shape or form, uh, whether it was playing the X-Men video game on uh, Super Nintendo or watching, you know, X-Men and Spider-Man and never really being like a huge fan of like any one show. Uh, and for some reason, never watching Batman, which is like even to this day when I remind myself of like. I can't believe I never watched Batman the Animated Series. That's so weird. That is just like, that's just such a blind spot on my entire childhood. <laughs> um, but as I got older, you know, it grew into more stuff like Teen Titans. Uh, occasionally I would catch Justice League here and there. Right. So it was always like around. Um, and video games, for a while there, not the best video games. But, like, stuff like, you know, X-Men, Age of Apocalypse, and uh, there were a couple of fighting games with the X-Men characters. Right, like I the arcade one and a Chuck E. Cheese. Like, oh, I, that's a I classic. Mean, yeah, that one. But I was also talking about, like, uh, just, like, I think there was, like, some for, like, what, Dreamcast or GameCube or something? Like, yeah, again, I think one for GameCube. Best. <laughs> I think like, I had I that one. The best quality. I was, I was actually really upset at that game because I wanted a story-based game, and I and I bought it thinking it was that, and it ended up being a fighting game. And I'm just like, oh, this is boring. Yeah, that the struggle is always real uh, for the people that do crave that. Like, I want a story mode, um, and either you don't get one, and you just get like some beat 'em up or fighting game, or just something to tide you over or you get like a really phoned in one or just a, just a really shitty one really right. honestly and also i think like you know on this same kind of question saying that i wasn't really into like specific superheroes is also not necessarily true if you expand the definition of superhero outside of like marvel dc and comic book superheroes because like in all in all theory like the power rangers and transformers are superheroes um, and I'd say that ah. I was, okay, maybe not Transformers, um, but the power, like Power Rangers, it's just, is <laughs> just superheroes. It's a superhero team. They're human, uh, or, you know, aliens in some cases The you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are superheroes. Um, and so I would say that I was very much more into Power Rangers than anything else. I would say Power Rangers are live action anime. They're not superheroes, but the thing that I think does, ca uh, fall into that category as TMNT easily. Yeah. Yeah, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are basically superheroes at that point. Um cuz they're treated the same. Like they have canon and like, you know, arch enemies and uh recurring characters and arcs. Like, you know, it's basic it's basically the same thing. Um but yeah, so mainly my whole thing with superheroes was like a lot of video games. Obviously, Marvel versus Capcom was like yeah. huge, and then the infamous like you know Superman sixty four uh, that we don't talk about. <laughs> but um, 
I think in terms of favorites, uh, obviously Spider-Man. It's so weird that like so many people just default. They just default to Spider-Man because it's like obvious. It's really, it's really weird because there are so many things working in his favor. Um, and we'll hopefully touch on that like in our ending discussion. But also for me, uh, being a kid that went through anger management and, you know, had a lot of uh, issues in that regard growing up, the Hulk was also like very vicarious, <laughs> living very vicariously through uh, a dude that when he got mad could literally do anything. And I was just like, all right, I dig that. I dig that. <laughs> Plus, my favorite color was green, so it was just like I was very easy to win over. I was just like sold. <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think my last little thing, like the last little thing that I kind of like thought of as we've been chatting about this, is that like I think maybe a better definition, you know, as I kind of refine this definition um, beyond just saying Spider-Man and X-Men or Power Rangers, is I was always into the next new superhero. And I think that's why something like Justice League Unlimited really appealed to me as a kid or like um, when they introduced new characters in like that X-Men Evolution series that was in the early 2000s Mm -hmm. is that like whenever there was a new hero and a new concept that wasn't like the the stock like 20, um, I was always immediately into it. Um, I was like, oh, wait, who is this? Like, tell me about his story. Tell me everything that he can do. Because then it helps my, it, it like would compound in my imagination. And I would go create a similar hero with that same ability or a different kind of ability that was an offshoot of that with my friends. And so like, that was a big part of my like superhero leanings to the point where like, I just binge played cause it was eight bucks and I was bored. I binge played uh, one of those Lego Marvel games and they have a custom one creator. And so I was like racking my brain. I was like, Oh my goodness. I remember all these heroes from that. I made up in childhood that I can now make little Lego guys for give them superpowers and play as them. Yeah. Um, I had this game, this online game, when I was like 13 called City of Heroes, which I think is still a thing right now. It was essentially World of Warcraft for superheroes. Um, and it was pretty janky. And like, if you weren't high level, then you couldn't really play a lot of the game. And so I I gave up after my subscription ran out. But it was so much fun just creating hero after hero after hero uh, to to play around in that game. And so that's, that's a big part of my superhero education is that like the notion of of creating the origins and creating the story around a hero is big for me. Yeah. I would also say uh, I was definitely more into, I think I nailed down why Spider-Man for me personally, I was always into the more unique heroes. Right. Somebody like Superman was so boring to me of just like, oh, so he just punches it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just like, hey, my superpowers flight and super strength. And I'm like, God, there's like so many of you. <laughs> uh, but a dude with it's spider. Like, oh, pl- were you created by a guy in the forties? Oh God. Uh, and do you embody the American way? Um, <laughs> but Spider-Man was so much more unique to me because he was all about like agility, flexibility, intelligence, like, and well, he was funny. And like, also, was, like, Stan Lee created him, and they were like, he's what? And they're like, he's based on a spider. And they're like, what? Why? That's never going to sell. And subsequently, he he has become one of the most popular superheroes of all time. He's like, you know, people don't like spiders, right? Yes, that's exactly (laughs) what they said to him. 
That is almost <laughs> verbatim what they said to him. Because, I mean, it's a really obvious, like, we're so used to Spider-Man at this point. We It's not weird to us. But, like, again, in a bubble, you kind of had to address the fact that, like, like, most people kind of hate spiders. Why would you even go in this direction? <laughs> well, and even his costume. His costume is not reminiscent of spiders beyond the webbing. Like, the red and the blue, it was that, that was deliberately chosen because it was more comforting to see on a superhero than to make him, like, actually spider-based. The closest they ever got to making him closer to, like, what Spider-Man, if you thought of it today, would look like was the black suit. Yeah, or like the Iron Spider, like spiders. Right, exactly. But yeah, like superheroes that were kind of like more unique, like, like I want. So hold on, I think my like backups in terms of like you know, okay, I don't want anything as mainstream as like Batman or Hulk or anything like that. My backups, my alternates, immediately were Nightcrawler, because. Fuck yeah, teleportation. Hell yeah. I was all about the teleportation. I was just like, oh my god, yes. I love the idea that I could just, like, go anywhere. I'm like, how is this not OP? How does he not just win every battle? Teleportation is the best I Like, people will be like, if I had a power, I would want the power to fly. And I'd just be like, why would you fly if you could teleport? That's the <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, plus, he's a demon! Like, he, he's not, he looks not only is so he a demon, cool. he's, he's a demon who has, like, faith and, like, struggles with being a demon. And so, like, yeah. it's so incredibly creative. That's kick-ass! <laughs> and then Gambit? Who even thinks of Gambit? Yeah, seriously. What was even the inspiration for that? <laughs> Like, ah, he's southern, and he throws cards, and they explode. Like, they're just sitting around, like, trying to think of stuff, and they're like, oh, man, I wish we could think of something. They're just tossing cards into a pile, and they're just like, wait a minute, I got it. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, yeah, I think, and I think as a kid, definitely Spider-Man was, like, the one. Spider-Man was the one for me, and he still kind of is to this day. But I think there was uh, a shift a little bit later in life to finding a place for Batman. And I'll save probably most of this for... Because we're obviously going to talk about Batman in some capacity. Yeah. Whether it's Nolan or the DCEU or just the character in general. But basically, much later in life, like closer to nowadays, uh, I'm much more a Batman... Like, what I would controvert, like what I would cautiously call a Batman purist, mm-hmm. but not in the sense that like I'm oh like I'm down with like every minute detail of Batman. That's not what I mean by that. Yeah. I mean like the idea of Batman more than this version of Batman. Uh, in the sense that like I like the idea of a you know. A kid who watched his parents get murdered in front of him and then, you know, vowed to never to do all he could to stop that from ever happening to anyone else. And he is the defender, the guardian, the protector of Gotham City, the world's most dangerous city. And he is linked to this place so heavily. And even as Bruce Wayne does so many things to help the city as a billionaire 
and starting all these foundations, researching things. And, you know, a lot of people use the whole he doesn't kill thing as like some sort of punchline. But I genuinely like the fact that he has a code. I like the fact that he's just like, well, if I just go around killing people, I'm literally becoming the thing that I'm trying to fight against. It just doesn't actually make sense for me to do that. Instead of it just being like um, Captain America, for instance, not saying something like that, or Superman not really like saying something like that. And it's a little bit more of you can kind of feel the author through them going like, well, I'm more so not going to kill people because it's not nice to kill people. With Batman, there's a personal reason there of like, if I do this, I now betray everything that I stand for. Right. Um, so that became a thing much later in life and it's made me resent almost every interpretation of Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Save it for later. Save it for later. Save it for later. I, okay. I, mm, all right. Save it for later. (laughs) I think uh, I have, I think I have one good, like kind of wrap up question before we start talking about Raimi's Spider-Man. Um, knowing what you know now, knowing the heroes that you know now or what you're into now if you're either talking to kids, kids who shouldn't be listening to this podcast, um, or talking to your childhood self, what are three heroes that are not the mainstream ones that you would recommend? And that mainstream is very loose. Mainstream is, has a titular movie about them, uh, prior to 2011. <laughs> so like Ant-Man counts, but like Captain America doesn't. Uh, you know what? I, I know, I look, I know, I know you're going to say it doesn't count, but in my mind, it absolutely counts Wonder Woman. Okay, no, I'll, I'll take that. Based on the the climate of the '90s and and boys and boy, uh, you know, little boy marketing, I will totally accept that. Black Panther. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's just that's more so of a thing of just like, unless you search for it, you're almost never just gonna like organically run into Black Panther, and it's yeah. just like, as a black kid, that kind of sucks. You yeah. know? It's just one of those, it's just one of those things. Rest in power, Chadwick Boseman. Absolutely. Yeah. Forever our king. Yeah, seriously. I hesitate to say Captain Marvel. Okay. Just because the character's so inconsistent. I think if you read some comics, you'd see more consistency. No, you know what? Runaways. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great one. Good one. Which also wasn't technically a... Re- yeah, like, that's one that, like, you, you like, came out later that you wish you could have had as a kid. Because one of my choices is yeah, the same. Yeah, like, because I got into Runaways when I think I was in, like, uh, college? Or, like, late high school. Like, it was late when I got into Runaways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just because it kind of better scratched that itch than X-Men did. Yeah. Uh, my my first choice, um, even though I, I've very, read very little of her comics, but just every interpretation of the character I've seen, I've really loved, is uh, the current Miss Marvel, um, Kamala Khan, uh, who's the first uh, outward, like first outwardly Muslim superhero, mm-hmm. um, who uh, ha- like her whole thing is that she got her powers. Um, she's technically an inhuman, which means she got her powers through uh, a metamorphosis um, and her genetics. Um, in combination, kind of the, the, you know, the catch-all solution to not being able to use X-Men in, uh, in the cinematic universe. Um, and so she has the power. She kind of is like a combination of like 
Hulk and Mr. Fantastic, where she can make herself larger, smaller, like adjust certain specific body parts. Um, and so she can like stretch to a certain capacity, but also like it has the same like power behind it. Um, and she literally takes up the title of Ms. Marvel when, when Ms. Marvel became Captain Marvel, um, formerly in the comics. And she's just a, a delight. She's very much a millennial, um, aspirational hero, uh, very much fl- like fights alongside Miles Morales. And, uh, I really think that she would have been somebody I was very interested in as a kid. Um, and kind of on the same vein of like me liking obscure superheroes, I really got into the, like subsequent generations of X-Men, like once you get to like new mutants and later where they had like a really big school of, of students where you had characters like Mercury and Elixir and stuff like that. Like, I wish I had known about those characters much earlier um, because they, they fascinate me. Like the farther you get away from like the characters that founded the, the whole genre and you start getting into like the nuances of like Elixir's power is that he can heal people and he eventually like is covered with his like gold energy that he uses to heal people but he can also use it to to kill people as well he can give you cancer um and i think characters like that are just so fascinating and then again in the same vein like when they rebooted guardians of the galaxy i was very excited um which was before the movie the the reboot was the the successful reboot was what led to the movie um with that specific team with star lord and, and rocket and stuff um but the a lot of the characters that still have yet to be covered, which they intend to cover in the movies, um, are really cool. You know, Adam Warlock is a really cool character, and that whole that whole realm. Um, you know, eventually when they introduce Nova and all those characters are are really fun characters that uh, I wish I had known about at the time. All right, so now we move on to our main event, the meat and potatoes of the episode, which is these goddamn Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, which I can't even contain it anymore. It's, I've, oh my God, for years. For years, Trevor. (laughs) For years. I've put up with these damn, oh my God. I know Star Wars fans can be a lot recently. They've been a lot since like 2017, but my God, but my God, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man loyalists <laughs> have said for years how amazing these movies are, and I can't wait. <laughs> well, I'm going to save, I'm going to save my, my major like stance and my major take for the very end, because I think I can sum up after we talk about all the various different details, I can sum up why people think these movies are better. I I get it. I understand why, but I want to talk about it first. Okay. (sighs) So just, just, just to give a quick recap of, of kind of what happens in each movie. Um, In Spider-Man one, Spider-Man is a high schooler. He's best friends with Harry Osborn. He meets uh, Norman Osborn on kind of on the side in love with Mary Jane from afar is bullied uh, for reasons we don't really get to know besides the fact of him just being different. He's a Gains his spider powers. We'll talk about that. Um, <laughs> gains his spider powers. Um, has to learn how to use them. Meanwhile, very quickly, uh, we learn that Norman Osborn is up to some nefarious deeds. They end up coming head to head as the villain and the hero in the city. Um, 
And in the end, uh, he finally tests Spider-Man by endangering Mary Jane and a bunch of other uh, citizens of of New York City. And then uh, they proceed to uh, end up in their own little enclave where Norman Osborn ends up accidentally killing himself. Um, It's revealed to Harry Osborn uh, that Spider-Man was the the person who uh, was responsible for his dad's death, and he vows revenge. Then we go to the second movie. Uh, Peter is uh, still estranged from many of his uh, family and friends for being Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man's still getting a bad rep throughout the city. Uh, he's trying to maintain his friendships with Harry and Mary Jane. He eventually meets Otto Octavius um, and uh, kind of becomes a little bit of a, a, a pupil of his. Um, and then... Uh, Basically, uh, Otto Octavius becomes Doc Ock through an accident that results in his wife being killed, and the uh, tentacles kind of take control of his mind. He goes away for a while. Peter goes back and forth with a bunch of subplots with all of his companions, loses his powers for some reason, and eventually ends up back fighting Doc Ock on the streets, uh, where Doc Ock eventually sacrifices himself to uh, fix the experiment that had gone wrong through uh, realizing the things that Peter stands for and the things they both stand for, which is science. And then in the third movie, Peter is finally getting... Uh, a sense of the city uh, welcoming him in as Spider-Man, and it's going to his head. It causes problems with Mary Jane because his ego is so huge, and the symbiote eventually uh, gives him the power to exact revenge when he finds out that Sandman is his uncle's actual killer, and that Harry has taken up the mantle of the Green Goblin and is after him as well. So he feels absolutely invincible until it destroys his life. He casts out the symbiote, and it takes on uh, Eddie Brock, who becomes Venom and sets up a with Sandman to try to get rid of Spider-Man. Spider-Man eventually uh, sways Harry back to the side of good, and the two of them take down Sandman and Venom together, save Mary Jane, and they finally are able to get married. Um, that is that is all of it. <laughs> also, Harry dies, and um, yes, do they get married? Uh, actually, no, they don't get married no. in the actual thing. I, I always get mixed up because of what happened. Um, so, so just first thing I want to say about this whole entire series, the damn long ass title sequences. <laughs> Why are they so long? <laughs> like, I get that in two and three, it like, it gives you a recap, like with screenshots of the previous movies, but like, Damn, I was able to make an entire dinner while waiting for that to finish. I didn't have to watch it. The first time, when I sat down for the first one, I was like, oh, this is still going. (laughs) This is still going on. This was, I think, back when, uh, well, the, the whole thing with movies was very different when these started. This was like very early 2000s. Um, things are a little bit more old fashioned. And I think also it may have been a little bit of a technique they used back then for people who like arrived late. Um, the way that yeah. they do with like the 20 previews we have now. Cause I remember genuinely trying to catch the previews back when they only showed like, like five and then that was it. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, I will say that I think it was also a chance to show off the score um, and to have nice visuals. Like you said, in two and three, they uh, do like quick visual recaps of the previous installments. Um, but that was the thing that was the thing I did notice while the 
title sequences were going was just like, oh yeah, like the first time I sat down and watched Spider-Man again, which I can't even remember the last time I did that. I was like, oh yeah, this score. I actually do like this score. Um, it's one of those things you kind of forget or you take for granted when you go that long without watching it. It's just like, yeah, this feels like a superhero score that isn't just like dun 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 dun. Um, and you know there are light motifs in the MCU, so I don't want to like make it seem like I'm dissing on uh Alan Silvestri. I think who does most of it, uh, or like the big ones. He does the Avengers. Yeah. Um, so I don't want, it's not like I'm taking a jab at Alan, but like, uh, it really did feel like this was a heroic theme. And I was just like, oh, okay, this is nice. It's a little old fashioned, but then again, this is a really old movie. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of old fashioned about these movies. So much. And I think, I think it hurts the movie more than anything. I mean, at least over time, the more we get, the more we get into these very, you know, I don't want to, I mean, cynical is not the right word, but these very like aware and, and I guess you, I I would even say that to a certain extent, the MCU can be more grounded at times than these movies. Um, They're very much aware of the time period they're happening in. I think there's a degree in these early 2000s Spider-Man movies to create this other world that is very similar to the 1960s origins of Spider-Man in the way that like the family dynamics are happening that I don't think would necessarily be the immediate thing you think of with friendships and family in the 2000s. Like, first of all, it doesn't really make any sense in the 2000s for a kid as rich as Harry Osborn to go to the school he goes to uh, and be friends with Peter at all. It doesn't make sense. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, do we need to explain this? Let's not. Um, cause I th- yeah, I get that. Think but there's... you get my point, is that like... Yeah. No, I do I do get the point. I think my like headcanon real quick explanation was like, well, he just wants to go to public school. Like, he just wants to go to school with That's his friends. That's true. Yeah. They do cover that a little bit. One really interesting thing is, I, I'm, I'm curious what your answer to this is. Who do you think is more corny, good guy, cheeseball? Uh, Toby or Tom? Uh, it's... Oh, that's such a hard question to ask. Because, like... The thing about casting Tobey Maguire is that the boy is an ugly crier. Um, (laughs) And they make him cry so much more than anyone else. Like, that's one thing that I... That was one thing about Homecoming and uh, and Far From Home that I I actually love is that every other Spider-Man movie has a funeral scene in a a cemetery. Every other Spider-Man does, except for the MCU ones. There is some scene, people have umbrellas, it happens to be raining, uh, they will always go to a cemetery and and put somebody in a grave, in every other Spider-Man movie. Um, There's so many people who we really focus on their deaths. Like, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Uncle Ben dies, um, and and they definitely uh, (laughs) cover it in the Raimi trilogy. Um, (laughs) 
And also, Norman Osborn dies. They definitely cover that in the Raimi trilogy. <laughs> I can just imagine Willem Dafoe and the guy who play Uncle Ben are sitting there like, oh, I got a check in the mail. What's this for? Oh, shit, I have to show up on set for a day? Okay. Like, they just, they don't let those characters go. And it's like, okay, all right. We get it. We know. We understand. Um, so, I, in terms of getting back to the question you asked, who is a bigger cheese ball? It's, it's just so different because well i meant like who's peter the parker more, who's the more like goody two shoes basically tom holland exactly tom holland is the politest spider-man toby Maguire's spider-man takes a little bit too much new york stereotype which as somebody who lives in new york it's it is more of a stereotype that people give it credit for well he's in that like he British. can say whatever the <laughs> Yeah, he like he can say whatever the fuck he wants to anybody on the street and anybody will say anything back where it's like Tom Holland was it was clearly his his Peter Parker was raised to introduce himself to every single new person he meets and be courteous to everyone even while having a mask on and fighting Thanos. Like like that is that is Peter Parker to the highest degree in my opinion. Um whereas like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man if you watch all three movies, he's kind of a dick. No, he's yeah. kind of a dick. He he doesn't really think anything through, uh, and he he's he really is a dumpster fire. Like he can't hold down a job. He can't say no to one uh, you know petty robbery. He can't like he can't wrap himself around anything in his life. He's a really crappy boyfriend to everyone he dates. Uh, he he. Yeah, I, I just, I can't. I can't with Tobey Maguire's yeah. Spider-Man. He has his redeeming moments. He has his moments where it's like, oh, like in Spider-Man 2, I really see is his best performance, I think. Um, and even honestly, right up until he gets the symbiote in Spider-Man 3, he's doing a decent job. Like, you know, he needs to learn certain things. He needs to learn not to let Spider-Man go to his head um, in that movie. But, you know, just for the most part, he's, he's also, he's not smart. <laughs> That's my biggest thing about Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is that he's not actually smart. If you look at his decisions, if you look at the way he talks, if you look at the way he solves problems, he's not smart. The script tells us he's smart. He get, they tell they tell us that he's taking physics classes, but they tell him he likes science, but he never he uses science once to defeat one of his enemies, and it is one of the most complained about moments in the entire trilogy, and it's when he defeats Venom. Like, that is the only time he uses anything but brute punching strength and desperation to defeat anybody, compared to Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland's Spider-Man, who have to use their brains every time they beat somebody, because the odds are just too large to overcome by brute strength alone. Which is one of the most defining parts of Spider-Man is that the odds are pretty much always stacked against Spider-Man. He has to just figure out how to adapt. Adaptability is really one of his best traits. Um, and, as well as his intelligence and quick thinking. And I think ultimately that's why it's such a master stroke to pair him with Tony in the MCU because they're so similar in terms of their strengths. Uh, they have different weaknesses, but their strengths are shockingly similar. Like they're totally. both incredibly 
intelligent and adaptable and, you know, they feel like their suit or powers is what makes them a hero, but it really is who they are specifically that makes them the actual hero. Um, and, you know, Tony just pawns it off on, like, his technology just because he's he just doesn't expect... Like, I mean, really, I think that's a realistic way to look at it. It's just not accurate. And Tom's Peter is more you know, humble and self-deprecating to think that, like, he uniquely could be Spider-Man. Not many other people could do it. Uh, Toby, on the other hand, Toby finds himself either lucking out of situations a lot or willing himself through situations a lot. And you can only go so far with that before you start to not really have a lot of confidence in your hero <laughs> because right i mean i never really felt like toby's peter was uniquely in a position where like only he could do this no i feel like most average people if given the powers and given the same situation might right. have looked into the same outcome <laughs> There might have been better people in Tobey Maguire's world to get those powers. Yeah. Plus, also, it is luck that he even gets the powers in the first place. Right. Like... Hell, Mary Jane could have gotten those powers. Exactly. Like, I mean, there's not... Which, honestly, would be a more interesting arc, because she comes from an abusive household. Which they do kind of just drop. Oh, we'll we'll talk about Mary Jane in a second. Okay. But, like, it's one of the weird, rare things I do like a little bit more in Amazing Spider-Man and, like, other incarnations of Spider-Man that more so imply, like, no, there was a reason that this person got the power was in this specific place at this specific time. Like, Spider-Verse does it really well also. um, Yeah. Where Miles was in that situation because he was miles, not because he was just, he happened to be here. Um, whereas Toby, yeah, so much of it is just like, I, I don't know. I pointed this out in my, and when I was live tweeting this on our, uh, Twitter, like they don't really establish this Peter before they just start. And, Peter never really gains a really solid personality other than being a doofus. So it's just very difficult to pin down, okay, how am I supposed to feel? What exactly am I rooting for? Am I rooting against? Because right now there's not a lot that I like about this incarnation of Peter. And there's many things I don't like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like, um, whiny. like MJ has a boyfriend most of the time. Yeah. Most She's of engaged the time. at one point. Yeah. And just Peter Parker would never try to break up an engagement. <laughs> right. I'm just like, what? I remember that scene in like Peter's like imagination where he was telling Uncle Ben he can't be Spider-Man anymore. I think one of the first things out of his mouth is, but I love Mary Jane. And I'm like, she's engaged, asshole. (laughs) 
you had an opportunity to be with. She literally well, said, I love you, Peter Parker. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, let's talk about Mary Jane for a second okay. here. Mary Jane. Mary Jane is not a character until the third movie. Mary Jane is an object in the first two movies. I would argue she does more in the second movie, but not all of it's good. Yeah, but even then, I'm just like, and also their chemistry is absolute garbage. Oh my god, it's awful. They have no chemistry. It's just like, but I feel for them. It's not one of the, don't misunderstand our words. We're both actors. We get it. Like, we know that nine times out of ten... If it's not hitting in a scene with two people or it's not hitting in a scene with just one person, it's not always the actor. Like, you're just being told what to do. And honestly, in movie one, more than any, I felt like I felt for these people who are just kind of standing there positioned at each other, just speaking words to each other's faces. Oh, yeah. And you never get a sense that anyone's relaxed. You you always feel like somebody is just hitting their mark or just making sure they're in the shot or like just making sure they have eye contact and acting with their face and their body is just might not might as well not even be there. Yeah. Like what even is the blocking in some of these scenes where they just stand <laughs> and they just like. Because I'm thinking specifically of, like, the scene where Peter actually has his first conversation with MJ in, like, their backyard at their shared fence. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, this has the possibility, this has the potential to be a really good, to be a really good scene. Where it's established that, like, you know, Peter and MJ are friends, but... You know, they've lived e- next door to each other for almost their entire life. Like, Peter should know Mary Jane really well. He should know her better than anyone else that's trying to, like, woo her and just establish that here. Just establish that, like, Peter knows exactly what she's going through and how she feels. He just knows her, and Flash doesn't, and Harry doesn't, and Norman does. Like, just that's all you need to do. But they're so focused. On the pining aspect of it, that it just, everything's awkward now. Everything has to be awkward, because it's Peter. And that's what I hate. That's why I always stick up for Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man sometimes. Is that, like, Peter doesn't have to be awkward 24-7. Like, Peter is still a kid that has grown up in the same city, with the same group of friends, in the same place... All his life. You're not going to be awkward all the time in that situation. Yeah. You know these people. <laughs> um, You know, you get the sense that, like, when he and Gwen first start talking, there's a little bit of that awkward energy. But it's flirtatious awkward energy. Like, it works. Um, And then they immediately get way more comfortable with each other. And I never felt that in this trilogy. I never yeah. felt like there was a point where these two characters knew each other super well and they're com- comfortable and casual and all that. There was like the briefest glimpse, the j- j- briefest shimmer 
of that in Spider-Man 3 when Mary Jane visits Harry at his house. And at first, they're just friends. And they're making eggs together. And they're joking around. And Harry's trying to cheer up MJ. And then Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) And then Hollywood decides... Oh no, this is a man and a woman alone in a room. They have to kiss. And I'm just like That's just like the running theme of this whole trilogy is just like you know these people could be friends, right? <laughs> they don't have to like constantly be trying to bone or making goo-goo eyes at each other. They can just have a conversation. They also done Gwen Stacy real dirty in Spider-Man 3. I don't even know why she's there. Nothing happens. (laughs) But even then, like, just knowing what we know of Gwen Stacy from the other movies and from the comics, like, you made her a model? How dare you? You made her vapid? How dare you? Which she's not. They make a point of saying that, like, she's in Peter's class. She's just as smart as Peter. But even then... But that's not what they told Bryce Dallas Howard to do. True, though. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> like, but at the whole time, I was just like, this character has no purpose to be here. You could take her out of the movie and nothing would change. Yeah, that's exactly true. Also, can we just acknowledge how many, like, wickedly famous people are in the backgrounds and side characters of these movies? Octavia Spencer! Uh, Bruce Campbell is in all three of them. Well, yeah, I knew uh, that. Joe Manganiello... Uh, Asif Manvi, Daniel Day Kim is in the second one. Uh, you know, Joel McHale is in Spider-Man 2. Uh, James Cromwell, Ty Burrell. Like, there are so many people who, like, have had amazing careers after this movie who got, like, Where was Ty Burrell? And the entire thing. Uh, he's in the first one. He's literally in the background. Like, he does not have a character, but he is in it. Huh. I, I went back and I checked. <laughs> okay. But I was just like, all of us, like, I'm over here trying my best to not quit my job that doesn't pay me in this podcast the second that the pro wrestling quote unquote starts. And I have to put it in quotations because I'm an actual breathing, living wrestling fan and I would spontaneously combust if I called whatever that is in Spider-Man 1 wrestling. But agreed. While that was going on, all of a sudden Octavia Spencer's on my screen. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> when did you get in this? Who? What time traveler pulled this prank? <laughs> like, I think she's. She might be the only person in all of these movies that has an Academy Award. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Uh, she, she's not the only one nominated. I know James Franco's been nominated. I know that Kirsten Dunst has been nominated. Uh, Willem Dafoe's definitely been nominated. Oh my god. (laughs) But, um, okay. So So let's talk about, let's talk about the script. Which? The scripts. Let's talk about the scripts. Oh my god. Where do you want to start? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is gonna, oh my god. There are good moments. There are good emotional moments. There are good, like, good good pieces of script. Most of the Aunt May stuff is great. Except for the worst decision, I think, in all the movies. The worst, like, end to a scene in all the movies. In Spider-Man 2, where Peter very inaccurately says, I'm the reason Ben, Uncle Ben died. 
extremely inaccurately, by the way, which I was yeah. just waiting for somebody to finally go, dude, it's not your fault. <laughs> and then yeah. he says the truth of what happened to Aunt May, and Aunt May just straight up walks away. She's just like, fuck oh, yeah. you, dude. <laughs> I'm like, whose decision was this? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you ruined May. You ruined her. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> it's funny because I watched a video that, like, talked about Spider-Man 2, and they brought up that scene, and this was before, obviously, before I rewatched it, so it was years and years since I'd seen it, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Does that actually happen? And I got to this scene, and I was like, holy shit, that's right, it does. <laughs> She literally just says, like, nah, screw you, dude. And Michael leaves. This poor nephew. <laughs> oh, my God. This movie's going to kill me. One thing that I, I mentioned to you before we started was just s something that didn't occur to me, which doesn't happen so much in movies anymore, uh, like superhero movies anymore, is that this happens... Like, these, this story, even just in Spider-Man 1, is over the course of, like, two years. Like, they time jump all the time in these movies. These movies probably cover a span of, like, seven years of activity in just six hours. Yeah, which is probably worse the more you think about it from a script standpoint, but is really interesting from, like, the choice that, like, wow, you're really gonna just... Like, yeah, you're, there's a lot of time that passes. Um, and it gives you the sense that, like, yeah, uh, Peter's been doing this a while. Like, he's a he's a pro. Um, although there is a moment in Spider-Man 2 when they do establish he's been doing this for, like, two years. Where he washes his... You, he washes the suit with his whites? Yeah, oh. right? And I'm like, <laughs> two years you've been doing this? <laughs> What the hell, Pete? <laughs> but that, God, that means from from Spider-Man 1 to Spider-Man 3, he's still in college. How? Yeah, I mean, he's barely in college in the first one. No, they do establish, like, because they graduate, I think, yeah, before, in the like, middle of the movie, two. yeah, about halfway, yeah. But, and they, they don't show him going to college, but they do reference that, like, he's going to college in Spider-Man 1. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that does make a little bit of sense because he keeps failing his classes by being Spider-Man. Which, also, I don't know how to feel about because I feel like Peter Parker would just allow himself to fail classes? I mean, he's poor. It, that's worse. That means, like, no, I can't retake this class. I have to pass it on the first try. I can't just do it again. <laughs> but I did bring that up in, like, my live tweets of just, like, how... Can he afford college, actually? Yeah, that's true. I'm, He's got to be on, like, he'd lose his scholarship real quick if he keeps failing these classes. I'm, I was like, uh, okay, I feel like you can either have him be super poor, or <laughs> you can say, like, oh, they had a savings or something. Like, you just, like... Oh, the some, Osbournes pay for it. Like, some some sweeping thing. But you can't, like, do both of those things. 
Like, that's kind of one of the biggest problems with this movie, is that, like, there are just some complete disregards for reality. Like that. Like, there are just things where it's just like, oh, he's a person. And what do people do? People graduate high school. People go to college. People work deadbeat jobs. It's just like, but what does Peter do? Like, how did, like, what is, what does he actually do? Yeah, it's like, it's like, I, I kept having the thought over all three of these movies. I'm like, I don't know this dude, man. <laughs> and the little, the little that I do know, I hate. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta help me. You gotta throw me a bone here, dude. <laughs> So we so we've established that like that Sam Raimi does a lot of those like just hit your mark and I will make the shot and like there's a lot of those old fashioned zooms and and all those other kind of things. But one thing that like you and I have agreed upon that Sam Raimi always succeeds in is his fight scenes. The camera work specifically is extremely kinetic. Um it almost it kind of shines a light on other action scenes that you watch either I, even like nowadays of sometimes the camera is like the biggest afterthought sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're trying to do all this stuff with the choreography or all this stuff with the effects. And Raimi does both of those things and does really kinetic high energy camera work. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just that the dude goes flying. It's that you follow him going flying. The camera does a thing that lets you follow his, uh, uh, thought process and then you watch him do the thing and you go with him and then you track the thing as he hits the web and he slings it back and you follow it as it goes back to Ock and like it it's working like over time <laughs> to the point not where only in that some... but like one of the biggest MCU like flaws about their fight scenes especially the hand-to-hand ones is just the severe amount of editing it's like you go, you go maybe a split second until a shot changes again in, in MCU fights. And like you still have those plot line style fights where it's like there's reversals of fortune and somebody gets the upper hand and somebody gets injured and they have to get back up and they can do this all day. But the Raimi fights, like they, they lengthen that story and they create tension and build and give like long standing advantages to one side versus the other. Um, and they, you know, the Doc Ock fight on the train is like a, a seminal superhero fight. Um, it has people in peril. The villain, uh, is constantly getting the upper hand and putting this hero in places where they have to save the people and defeat the villain. Um, you see their abilities used to the fullest extent. Um, like it was fun watching that fight in Spider-Man 2 because you got to see everything that Doc Ock can do and you got to see how Peter dealt with that villain um in a way that you don't really see it with the green goblin he doesn't really deal with the green goblin more than just giving him a couple punches here or there or running away and that's why the doc ock scenes can be some of the most entertaining in the entire series um is because you get to see those dynamics and i think the secret ingredient to that train fight is peter has to think peter has to think like really quickly um, they're kind of like, because like Doc Ock has the utmost advantage because they're literally on top of a tube full of hostages. Yeah. And it's constantly like Peter can't just fight Ock regular. He has to fight him careful. He has to be aware of whenever somebody's going to get hurled out the side. Like he has to be aware of like, if they do 
this one maneuver that things are going to go right through the ceiling and could kill someone. Like, there's all this tension because Peter has to, like, change up his game a little bit. And in a lot of the other fights, again, especially Spider-Man 1, it is just, how can I hit this guy? (laughs) That's probably the biggest thought that he has in a lot of those fights is like, just how do I get to him? Or, and he's given even more power in Spider-Man three, which also just kind of amplifies all that. Like in his, in his second fight with Sandman, where he basically kills him. um, It's just, it's not rewarding by the fact that he discovers the water because it's vindictive. And he, he's clearly got the advantage the entire time. And so it's, it's not as compelling in that way. And I think, in a trilogy with better scripts, that would have been a seminal moment. It would have been a seminal mm-hmm. fight because it's not about the fight, right? It's about the shift. It's about the shift in character Yeah. for Peter. And if you set this... Basically, if you had a character similar to Tom Holland in the first two movies, and then in the third movie, he has a fight like that... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's it would when it matters. It would have been like, holy shit, calm down. <laughs> what does it matter to you anyway? Everything! <laughs> One of my least favorite exchanges of all superhero movies. God, these movies have so many contenders for worst line ever? Yeah. Like, worst <laughs> line in a movie? <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. So, so like jumping off of that, let's talk about villains. People are really quick to talk about how these are are the better villains, with the exception of Venom. Everybody throws Venom under the bus, but are they really? I would say the best villain. You have to put an asterisk next to even. Yeah. Like every every villain has some little thing that I'm like, eh. Like the thing about the thing about Doc Ock, we don't see him that much. He's in the first act and the third act. He's not in the middle. Yeah, he goes because Spider Man just basically, <laughs> Spider Man just basically fucks off. Yeah, and Doc Ock is too busy building his experiment. Like that. All right, they it's literally like a just major, go their separate ways. It's like you know, we, during all that time, we get these interesting subplots and these interesting, uh, you know, moments where Peter has to deal with he has to deal with Harry, he has to deal with MJ, he has to deal with Aunt May, um, but like. For, it's the only time since the be- very beginning that anything is peaceful in New York City during all of that. Well, but even then, the crime rate skyrockets. So it's yeah. not. It's like <laughs> you just don't like Peter. You just don't really see it anymore. <laughs> I mean, it still happens, but you're just like blissfully unaware, and everything's fine until you look at the front page of the Bugle, and you're like, oh, well. <laughs> There we go. And I will say, uh, like I said, the the best villain of the trilogy, in my opinion, is Harry. But interesting. Okay. But I still have a lot of problems with with that villain. So it's like even my favorite still doesn't really work that well. <laughs> well, I do want to make like kind of three contingencies, like. Venom doesn't get any time to do anything, and Toffer Grace was a terrible choice. Um, and he well, even knows no, that. Okay, I, I want to. I, wa- I just want to really quick jump in. I think Topher is great at being Eddie. Correct. Topher is great at being Eddie, but they screwed him because they, for some reason, thought they didn't need to change his voice at all when he's Venom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm like, 
No. <laughs> you you can't you can't just have Topher Gracie Eric Foreman talking as Venom. Correct. Stop. <laughs> and you also needed to make him bigger. He couldn't just be a guy in a suit. Like he needed to be massively bigger than because he even is in the comics. He's massively bigger than than Spider Man. Um, also, his lines are just atrocious. Yes. And his motive is narrow and... My spidey sense is tingling. Yeah. If you know what I'm talking about. Because that's the thing is that, like, that's not what Venom is. Like, Venom is like, uh... Yes, Venom is like, I'm gross and, like, savage. I'm not witty. I don't need to be. And hell, they don't even really do that in in Venom the movie. Like, the, the character, like, dynamic is between Eddie and the symbiote, but, like... Venom in and of himself doesn't say any quips or anything I like mean, that. I mean, not everyone has to not everyone has to be funny. Correct. God. And so that <laughs> that brings us to the last the last two villains of the of the franchise, which is uh Green Goblin and Sandman. I will say having just watched Spider-Man 3, Sandman's story is tragic and the mocap that Thomas Hayden Church does right after he wakes up and now has the powers is heartbreaking. Like he does that is such a good even though it was all CGI or mocap or whatever it was, that is such a heartbreaking scene to see that like this person who was just in a shit situation now has this curse upon him and he has to turn to crime. And so I feel for Sandman the entire time. The only time that I really get upset is when they don't give him a character in the final fight. They make him a big lug with that without a brain. And and but he I think that that uh, that Thomas Hayden Church does a fantastic job with that character the entire movie. Yeah, there's a version of Spider-Man three that works a whole hell of a lot better when you realize that one of the villains is desperate for money. And another one of the villains is fucking rich. <laughs> and there's a there's a thing that's going on right there that you could have done, but you just didn't. And you know, if you do it, you don't have to do Venom. You just save him for his own movie. It'll be fine. <laughs> that's true. We could have done an entire movie with just Venom as the villain. <laughs> I'm really glad you enjoyed your own Christopher Walken. <laughs> because <laughs> I contrary to most other people, Walken is not in like my go-to repertoire for imitations. I never do Walken. <laughs> so I said one thing that vaguely reminded me of Walken. I was just like, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> Oh, and I'm shocked it sounded somewhat decent. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't bad. <laughs> but, um, no, then, I stand by my yeah. point of just, like, you can have... See, that... Uh, these films, sometimes they piss me off because they rush something that would have been so much better taking the long way around. Like, if you... I'm not going to circle back to Mary Jane, but that is an example. But it's like, why not just set up Eddie Brock in Spider-Man 3? 
because presumably at this time there may very well have been a Spider-Man four. So why not just set up Eddie Brock and have him get the venom, but just don't have it pay off yet. Have it pay off in Spider-Man four. And then you can just focus on, because my thing with Sandman is that he's too good of a villain, which is odd but like every time in the beginning of the movie when we're setting up Sandman it feels like well this is no longer a Spider-Man movie <laughs> this is now about Sandman <laughs> that's true he's incredibly and compelling it, it hurts the flow of the movie then for me because it's like there's two movies going on but I know this other mini movie is just gonna go back to this regular movie and it's like they did a really good job in doing Sandman, but now Sandman's on his own being his own villain, and they made him too sympathetic. Now I don't buy him as an actual villain. Meanwhile, you the other villain we have has gotten two whole movies to build up and is an extremely powerful physical and emotional threat for Peter. Like... I feel like this solves itself if you just have Harry hire the Sandman. Yeah. And then, you know, Harry gets, like, bonked on the head, which, if you have to have it, fine. But it, I just want to go on the record and say it's a pretty lazy uh, story storytelling trope. Oh, yeah, especially since it's, un, it's undone by, by a drink and a kiss. Yeah. I just... Uh, <laughs> um, but you know what? To the to these writers' credit, because we're we're shitting on them a lot here. To their credit, though, this is important because the amnesia angle is one of the worst, laziest, overdone tropes of all time, and they somehow managed to completely revitalize Harry with it. Oh, yeah, totally. I was just like, oh, I actually somewhat give a damn about this dude. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and they kind of ruined it for me the second that things got, like, hot with MJ. Like, I, di I didn't need it. It would have been actually greater, probably, if it was just a friend being there for another friend. And look, however you want him to rejog his own memory, you can do that. But just like, uh, <laughs> just I can't stand that a man and a woman can't be alone in a room without <laughs> sexual tension. It's like, how does anyone get anything done in Hollywood movies? Um, But yeah, but that would actually be really interesting if you have Harry start off the movie being this really increasingly like tense villain who hires the Sandman. And then one of the very next times we see him gets amnesia. Oh shit. <laughs> so now Sandman's doing his own thing. Like Robin Banks and making life miserable for Spider-Man under a dude's orders who now has no memory that he even started it. How, how the fuck do you get out of that? <laughs> But then, I mean, you know, he gets his memory back or whatever. You know, it's fine. Right. You know, because 
The thing, the thing that I found the most interesting, though, about the Green Goblin when I was watching it is that, like, there's nothing really that special besides Willem Dafoe being a terrifying person who uh, put another uh, scoreboard on people I've seen in person. Uh, <laughs> the man will look at you and your soul will leave your body. Um, he is terrifying. He's a terrifying person. Um, but besides Willem Dafoe's, like, the, the kind of creepiness and edge he brings to it and the kind of craziness, he's not really that unique of a villain compared to a villain that could be in a non-superhero movie. Um, like, he actually, I would actually argue that, like, the Green Goblin in Spider-Man 1 is the prototype for all of the, all superhero movie villains from 2000 onward. I mean, to be fair, he's probably the most famous. I mean, when you think about, like, how they played the lizard or how they played uh, Goblin in uh, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man series, um, you know, he he his very baseline motivations in that whole, like, we're going to play with the idea that mental health is what makes him a bad person. Um, It becomes the prototype for most of the generic ass villains that we see in that entire time period. Um, you know, how many villains talk to themselves, uh, in all these movies? So many, so many villains. And so he kind of just becomes the archetype to where watching it now, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I mean, I'm not that specifically invested in you. I'm really just, I know what this trope is because this is where it started. Like, you're there for Willem. You're not there for the character. Correct. It's the inverse of Toby. You're not there for Toby. You're there for Spider-Man. Exactly. Which sucks in both cases. Do you have anything else before I do my my big reveal wrap-up as to why these movies are good for people? I would... Well, I have, like, some writing suggestions. And so, do you think that would be better in front of or after... I think I think in, I think in front of um, I think okay. you should do like a rapid fire. Well, writing suggestions. There's a lot of there's a lot of things. I'm just going to do big bullet points. And that's first, obviously, flesh out Peter before he gets a spider bite, man. Like, come on. I mean, we should know who this kid is before that. Um, even. In Civil War, when Holland is introduced, you get a sense of who the kid is because he's allowed to, like, speak and have a conversation and really say what's on his mind before we even see him in the suit. Like, and that was just for a cameo. So you didn't even have to you didn't have to get a lot. Um, They do it again in Homecoming after we already know he's Spider-Man. We don't go through another origin story. Just seeing him on an average day does a lot, does a hell of a lot to inform his character. You know, I'll never like you can't match that montage in terms of like how to introduce a character really quickly without spelling anything out in like two minutes or so. Like, you know, uh, hey, are you Spider-Man? Yeah, I'm Spider-Man. All right, do a flip. Yeah! <laughs> and then anybody lose a bike <laughs> and given old ladies directions and having a sandwich with his mask on leaving a voicemail on a rooftop like there's so much character in these like little moments 
And you just have Toby getting bullied for being a stereotypical nerd that just has no actual thought and care put into it. It's just like, let's slap some glasses on him, let's give him a dopey haircut, and let's give him a polo shirt. That's it. I mean... God, it's ah. Uh, there's so there's so many things about the high school section that's just like, I'm so, oh god, all of this is bad. But establish Peter as a character, and specifically, you want to focus on the main like tenants of Peter Parker of Spider Man. Like we'll get into that after this talk, but you know stuff like uh his quick thinking, not just his intelligence, his sense of humor, which. Needs to be established at some point, but these movies never actually do. Um, you know, stuff like that. You gotta f- find a thing to establish, and then establish it. Um, he needs a he needs a better relationship with his uncle before he just dies. That's something that this series and the Amazing series kind of both do. We're just like. Ben doesn't really do a lot. <laughs> he dies. Why, why do we care other than just a human being is now dead? And uh, this is, Peter's too selfish. Uh, he's just too selfish. Look, man. Uh, Peter's got to actually give a damn about other people, okay? It's Spider-Man. Spider-Man's one of the most selfless superheroes I can think of have him actually want to be Spider-Man and save people because it's the right thing to do and not because he feel like he has to out of guilt. That's Batman's territory. Batman and Spider-Man are nowhere near the same person. Don't make them. Um, if you're going to have, I look, just have Mary Jane be single in the first movie because What's even the point of her going out with Harry? There's, like, no point. Nothing comes from it at all. Just have her be single and have it be like, you know, Peter just chooses being Spider-Man over having a relationship. And at the end of the movie, maybe he actually says yes. And they try to be together, but Spider-Man 2 is all about, you know, or it's at least it starts out with him trying really hard to be Spider-Man and be with the woman he loves, but he can't tell her why he's a terrible boyfriend. And it's just shitty. Like, that would actually be more of a reason to say, like, hey, being Spider-Man is hard than just not getting the last uh, hors d'oeuvre at a party you don't want to be at or getting your books knocked over and stepped on on a college campus. Like, have it actually be shit that matters so we can invest in it. Um, Then by the end of the movie, hey, guess what? She knows he's Spider-Man, so everything's made up. And don't, for the love of God, don't have her get engaged to some dude she doesn't even like. Women don't do that. <laughs> Why yes. is that a thing? Yes, 100% women don't do that. Women don't just date people because they're bored. That's what men and do. just want to be in a relationship. <laughs> and then, yeah, like I said, like, you've already built up Harry. Just have him be the main villain of movie three. Give him amnesia. Don't give him amnesia. I, look, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
These movies were like drowning by the end of the first one. It's hard to like save these movies, quote unquote. But I feel like a better version of these movies could have existed easily if you just change very basic major things. And you can keep a lot of the stuff that's there. It's not like everything is bad. It's just really obvious big things that are bad. So that kind of leads to me to the kind of one way of looking at these movies as to why people still hold them up as superior movies, superior Spider-Man, superior movies to (laughs) the current uh, MCU movies and the Amazing Spider-Man movies is because these movies, I realized, are a home-cooked meal compared to the other movies being the meal you make for yourself when you live with roommates. Like, these movies are so full in a good way. Like, this is this was the realization I had when I was watching Spider-Man 2, is that even though we have so many individual plots and individual characters not linking together that Peter has to deal with, they all matter to Peter. Mary, Mary Jane's stuff matters to Peter. Maintaining a relationship with Harry, even after everything that's happening, matters to Peter. Keeping Aunt May alive matters to Peter. The fact that his mentor becomes Doc Ock matters to Peter. And so we do have a reason to go through all these things, and we have a reason to to sit there and eat every single side course that is genuinely, a, you know, a good... Uh, I don't want I'm going to backtrack. Um... We have a reason to sit through every single side course in this massive sprawling meal of these movies, and you get to the end of it feeling a lot more sated and a lot more full um, than you get with something like Far From Home that is very, very like, we're going to get through this track. We're focusing a lot on the villain intersection and the relationship intersection. Ned is kind of just off on the side. He doesn't have, if you got rid of Ned from this movie, it wouldn't impact the movie in any way. Um, If you got rid of a lot of those sub characters in that movie, it wouldn't impact the movie in any way. If you really just had MJ, a couple of teachers and some generic students in Far From Home, you could still have the same movie. You can't have the same movie in in the Sam Raimi trilogy without all of these supporting characters. And that's why it's a fuller movie. Which actually, strangely enough, does kind of lead us into our little ending discussion here. Yeah. Because while you were saying that, I kept thinking to myself, so the PS4 Insomniac Spider-Man then? Because that does essentially all of the same things, but it's good. (laughs) like uh mj is far better you have miles in there you have uh aunt may you don't go through the origin story because you don't need it you have a police officer character that uh clearly shows that spider-man at least is trying to work along with the nypd you even have missions that have him working with actual like a police officer um, you have even more of a mentor story with Doc, Doc with uh Doc Ock that's very clearly like built up and there's a lot of time put into it, and Doc Ock is an incredibly interesting character. Norman's there. Harry isn't there, but there's so much history with 
him and Peter and MJ that just gets hinted at very slowly over the course of the narrative. And then you got like Norman's private army and like you got so much stuff. And granted, Not to mention, it, one thing that I didn't mention before, which is also worth noting, that the Sam Raimi movies have that none of the other ones do, is that New York is a character. New York City is a character in these movies, similar to Sex and the City, in that the people of New York either love, hate, support, uh, you know, think he's a menace. J- like, J. Jonah Jameson adds so much to these movies that is lacking in the other ones. Um you know, the way people stand up for Spider-Man, the whole montages of people discovering who he is. New York is more heavily featured in the life of Spider-Man than in the other ones. And I would say the closest that it comes to it is Homecoming. But even then, that's still just Queens. It's not New York as a whole larger thing. Well, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember... I don't know how intro... Uh, intro. Into the Spider-Verse fares in that regard. I mean, it's a different New York inherently, so. Well, yeah, but it's still like, I would say it's like a, not, I mean, not to go into the whole like parallel universes thing, but it is like kind of a different feel for the same city. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and like the PS4 Spider-Man, a lot of people just legitimately say like, that might be the best Spider-Man movie and it's not even a movie. And I think it's because of similar to what you said, like Spider-Man works really well when there's a big supporting cast. There's a lot of things going on. Everything's important to Peter. And since we like Peter, everything that he thinks is important is important to us. And with a video game, you like spend a lot of time, obviously with the characters and learning the city and getting used to, uh, you know, where this uh, part of the city turns into this part of the city and you stop using the map so heavily and you just get used to everything. And it's like, that is sort of the best experience to have with Spider-Man because Spider-Man is so, so in, in New York. Like, it was interesting for Far From Home to go to Venice So I don't want to make it seem like Spider-Man just has to always be in New York. But I think, yeah, like New York is part of Spider-Man's entire identity. The way that Gotham is Batman's entire identity. It's not like he never goes to Metropolis. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, Batman is Gotham. Spider-Man is New York. It's just that's the way it is. So I think that's part of the conversation as well. Is it even possible to have the movie that Spider-Man needs to be, which is, you know, gives you the sense of atmosphere, the sense of, you know, everything's related, everything's close, everything is New York, everything is part of this bigger picture, even if it doesn't matter right now, this second. But can slash should you do that in, like, a two-hour Hollywood movie with a beginning, middle, and end... Because I think the Raimi... I think that... uh, I think that the Raimi... Yeah, the Raimi series gets the closest to it. And I think the reason that the other ones in the MCU ones are successful is because they choose bits and pieces to really focus on. They don't 
they haven't touched the Osborns in the MCU for a reason, because that would quickly take over all the narratives. Yeah. They're, with the exception of certain franchises, they are pretty careful about, like, okay, let's not, like, always do the big, obvious villain. Let's, like, do specific, smaller stories. Um, And I think that works to make a good Spider-Man movie, specifically. Like, this has to work as a three-act, you know, two-hour or so long movie. Whereas the Raimi movies, I did often find myself making notes of the editing and making notes of like, okay, so we skipped a lot here and we skipped over to there. And it's because the Raimi movies really did try to be a big montage. They tried to be like a big scrapbook almost of like, this Mm -hmm. is Spider-Man, like almost in its entirety. And I think it helps in terms of like the atmosphere, but it does hurt it in terms of, there are some scenes that just go nowhere. There are some characters that just, the film stops dead because Bruce Campbell's on screen. And it's like, Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's fun, <laughs> but it is still a movie. Everything does need to be related. And so it's like you kind of give up one for the other in that case of like you give up structure for a more feel good atmospheric movie. And in that vein, I do think, yeah, Raimi, the Raimi movies, maybe you even shouldn't try to view as like you know, critically in terms of film, maybe they need to be done more in terms of just narrative of just like, these are stories. Look at them less as films and look at them more as like stories. And they're still flawed. Mm -hmm. They're still flawed, but it does take some of that added criticism and pressure off. I think, um, because these aren't movies that are trying to be Citizen Kane. They're trying to encapsulate the feeling of a Spider-Man comic. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to do like they're trying to do in one Raimi film, a whole like graphic novel, thick Spider-Man volume one in one movie. Whereas the MCU ones are a little bit more like, a, oh, this was like a 10 comic arc. Exactly. So, with all that said, the last, the last, last, last thing is, what do you think makes a good Peter Parker Spider-Man? So, this, going into this, I, I stand by that Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man we've had. And I, and I have considered, after watching all these films, with, like, the primacy effect of, like, do people think that Tobey Maguire is the best because he was first? And that's naturally, it was, like, what we set as the standard. Is Tom Holland the best because it's just the most recent one we've seen? But I, I defend Tom Holland Spider-Man both in the writing and the way he plays him because he's intelligent he uses his intelligence. It is showcased by his relationships. Um, he puts other lives well before his own in the same way that uh, Tobey Maguire does. It's just in a different set of stakes. Like, it sucks that he leaves... Uh, that he leaves... What's her name? I forget her name. Uh, uh, Vulture's daughter. Um, at the at the homecoming Liz, dance. Liz, I think. Yeah, Liz. It, like, it, that sucks. Like, that's a sacrifice. And it's not a sacrifice of, I lost the job at the pizza place. 
um, to be Spider-Man. It's like, it's a different sacrifice, but it's given weight. He is, like we said, polite. <laughs> so incredibly polite. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's young. He's not way too old by the time these movies are getting, uh, you know, towards their end to still be believably a young guy. Um, and he's funny. He has, he's also had, uh, you know, three more movies to develop. Uh, he, or two more movies to develop because he was in Civil War, uh, in Infinity War, and then a little bit in Endgame, but we get to see some of his emotional chops in Endgame. Um, but he has so many more quips and funny parts that are genuine, not just being a smart ass, but just genuinely like, oh yeah, no, I'm kind of a dork and this is, this is funny. Um, as well as being a smart ass. And, then on top of that, Tom Holland has the dramatic chops, he has the emotional back, he has the humor, he has the charm, and he is an acrobat. He can do his own stunts. That, to me, blows everyone else out of the water, <laughs> no, no matter what the writing for the other person is or the movie. It's like, the reason they chose him is because in the audition room with uh, Chris Evans for Civil War, they were he was like, oh yeah, it says in the script I, I do a flip. Do you guys want me to do a flip? And they went wait, what? You can do a flip? And he's like, yeah, I'll do a flip. And then he flips in and does a screen test with Chris Evans. And Chris Evans is sitting here like, holy shit, this kid. And so like, that's, that's why Tom Holland's Spider-Man, because only, only Peter Parker would look at that and go, oh, you guys want me to do a flip? I'll, I'll do a flip. I'll do what I, I'll do what you need me to do. Like that's that's why he's Spider-Man. Like that's what makes a good Spider-Man is, is just the, the care and charm and attention and and politeness and fun. Like I have way more fun watching the Marvel Spider-Man movies than the, the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Yeah. I think a part of that, there are a lot of things on um, which you mentioned that I kind of want to touch on. One of which is that like, you know, you mentioned the sacrifice of, you know, something personal for, uh, P uh, MCU Peter, uh, like leaving Liz at the dance. But, I think the difference for Toby Peter and Tom Peter is that, like, Toby Peter, you know would complain about it. You know it would be, like, the life or death, like, oh, God, I can't believe, uh, why, I can't, I, Toby Peter, at one point in Spider-Man 2, I think, literally looks out the window and goes, am I not supposed to get what I want? And I'm just like, Fuck yeah, that's I remember off. that. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Tom Holland's Spider-Man is just like, a, yeah, I'm not going to get what I want. It's just the acceptance. It's the that's why I've been harping on like, you know, you got to set up this Peter before everything. And you really should set up his moral compass. You really need to set up the fact mm -hmm. that like. Peter, at the end of the day, is somebody who's selfless, is somebody who always puts others before himself, is always going to do the right thing, no matter what it gets him in return. Like, that's the kind of kid that Peter is. That's just that's just who he is. Like, the best version... Here's a good of way of putting it, is that yeah. Toby's Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, had they been gifted different powers under different circumstances, or had they been just a little bit more wealthy, would have been villains. They could have been someone else's villain. Tom Holland's Spider-Man, I cannot believe in any capacity that if he was given those powers or given different powers, 
would have been would have been a villain. That Peter Parker version is a hero regardless of whether or not he has powers. Whereas Tobey Maguire has shown selfishness across his entire uh, arc and just a willingness to cheat and things like that that put him in a position where I'm like, oh, if he was given like the serum by Norman Osborn, he would have been a villain. Yeah. And another way to kind of look at it, I feel like, is, you know, all the Peter Parkers are poor. That's like part of their thing. They're poor. But nobody ever, like, it's like the other two kind of don't get why Peter's poor. Like, because Raimi Peter is constantly hating that he's poor, constantly trying to get out of it, you know, um, and he constantly laments his status. He's just constantly trying to move up. And Holland's Spidey is more like, well, this is just who I am. Like, this is just a part of how I grew up. That's just me. Like, and there's something just in- immediately endearing about that. There's something that's oddly, like, not inspirational, but maybe a little admirable about that to not view your station in life as, like, something you need to get over. But it's like, no, this is just where I am right now. And, you know. It's the difference between shame and pride. Right. Peter Parker in the MCU is proud to be from Queens. Yeah. And he has to learn that in the first movie. But he's proud to be from where he's from, and he's proud of his Aunt May, and he's proud of his friends. And he's poor in a 20, you know, in a 2010s way, where it's like, he still has a cell phone, and the house is still decent, but he's still poor. Um, but then, like, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man are ashamed of their financial status. And it's like, stuff like that is palpable stuff like that is you can you can inadvertently communicate that to your audience and it's like they may not be able to put be able to put it into words they may not may not be able to understand why they feel this way but they just get the feeling that you know this toby peter eh, i don't know there's not there's something just not genuine about him and andrew garfield peter is just like he's trying really hard, but maybe that's the issue. And Holland, Peter Parker, it's like, it's like both Toby and Andrew have to work to be Peter and Spider-Man. And it's like, they struggle under the constraints of what being Peter means, whether it's, you know, Toby has to be quippy and high energy and he's just not really that great at that. Or Andrew Garfield has to, like Andrew Garfield has to be American and from New York. And <laughs> <laughs> like, well, so does Tom Holland, but still. <laughs> but it's it's like and Andrew both Toby and Andrew also have to be young and also have to be awkward and also have to like they have to do all these things that maybe they they're not in real life. So it's like there's more of a stretch. You and I as actors know that it's much easier to play a character that's closer to your wheelhouse than farther away. That's just the way it is. Even if you're a really good character actor, like, which would you rather play 
right now? Would you rather play Hitler or would you rather play um, Charlie Chaplin's version of the dictator? I don't. I don't know where you're going with because, this. Because no, I think you're closer to like the like the. They're both Hitler, <laughs> but one is like, okay, you got to be Hitler, and one is like, well, you more so have to be Charlie Chaplin, being Hitler. Like that's fair. Okay, there you go. <laughs> it's like nobody's asking you to be Hitler, <laughs> but in one they are, and in the other one, it's like, I would I would think you're the type of person that would say you're closer to Charlie Chaplin. In that, in that sense. And you would be interested in that type of role. And I think Toby and Andrew genuinely wanted to be Peter Parker and were really passionate about it, but it's just a stretch for them in certain capacities. Tom, just in his free time, <laughs> is just basically <laughs> Peter Parker with a British accent, and it just works better. That's what happens... When you don't cast by name or you don't cast by status and you just like, dude, look for the qualities of Peter Parker. He's got to be humble, funny, charming. The charming part is what's missing a lot. Like there's a difference between being a little socially awkward and being like completely socially inept. Mm -hmm. And it's a line. Like people do fall in love with Spider-Man. Like, people do fall in love with Peter. Yeah. Like, I really resented the fact that people saw Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker, and they were like, he's too attractive. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> Nerds can be attractive. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is that supposed to also, mean? Also, like, have you ever read a Spider-Man comic from the 60s? They all have same face syndrome. Like, he's an attractive person in those comics, too. Yeah. It's not like Captain he's America... He's not Steve Buscemi. It's not like Captain America pre-Serum was hideous. Right. It's like, it, it doesn't have to kill Peter Parker to, like, be charming. Genuinely charming. Be funny. Be actually funny. <laughs> you can still be awkward and have a good one-liner. That's possible. <laughs> Are we going to talk about the the gay the homophobic joke? God. This probably sums up this probably sums up Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker jokes like the kind of jokes he makes in one line, which if anybody is not following when he's in the ring with Bonesaw, he jumps up and sticks himself up in the corner and looks at Macho Man Randy Savage and says, that's a nice outfit. Did your husband make it for you? And that's all you need to know about the time period in which these movies take place and the kind of jokes that are consistently made by Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Just fundamentally a misunderstanding of who Peter Parker is. Peter mm -hmm. doesn't make jokes to put down people. That's not... Here's how... Here's how actual Peter Parker deals with learning someone's gay is, oh, yeah, cool. No, it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm not sorry. No, it's like, it's cool that you're gay. I mean, I, we shouldn't even be talking about this. Like, that's how Peter Parker actually deals with learning someone's gay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel, and you know what? Honestly, 
again, testament to Tom Holland. I literally saw that just being Tom Holland and not even Peter Parker. Like it could, you could interchange them. (laughs) Oh my God. It's Robert Downey Jr. Cause like the PS4 Peter Parker is also extremely handsome and attractive. And like, he's a good looking kid. He doesn't even look that awkward. He's not even that awkward. (laughs) Doesn't stop him from being a good kid who's incredibly smart and completely compassionate and driven to help people. Like, that's the important part. So, I think that about wraps up everything. Did we talk about everything? We did. I feel like we did. It was a jam-packed episode. Talked about Raimi, Spidey. There's a lot to unpack there. And even the discussion of just what makes a good Spider-Man. You know, there's a lot of nooks and crannies of these conversations. But let us know what you thought. Follow us on our social medias at Red Team Pod uh, on Twitter, on Instagram. Go ahead and track us down. Let us know uh, that you only agree with our opinions and nothing else. Um, <laughs> I couldn't even think it, finish the sentence without laughing. Any negative uh, opinions are fake news. <laughs> Any negative uh, opinions about our opinions uh, are not actual opinions. <laughs> if somebody comes up no, with the we're if somebody comes joking. up with a blue team pod to refute everything that we say, I'm going to consider that a success. <laughs> we should just have like we should just literally get some of our like uh, our old theater. Appears to just just throw together a podcast called Blue. I'm the anti Trevor. We're just like, what did they talk about? (laughs) What did they talk about? They said Empire was good except for one thing. Okay, Empire was awful except for one thing. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, as always, um, I have been TJ Patrick. I continue to be Trevor Catalano. I don't know what's happening to him. And we <laughs> and we will catch you guys on the next episode. We'll catch you guys later.